Praise the Lord for the faithfulness of God. Amen. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Thank you, brother, for, for bringing us into the presence of the Lord with your gifts. You know, down at CUF, we would have put a reprise on that one. I, I would have I asked you at home, are you finished yet? But I'll, I'll go ahead. and I am Presbyterian, but I'll behave myself this morning. Uh, we are so excited to be here with you all this morning. I say we because uh, we have a delegation that came up from Orlando, Florida uh, to uh, worship with you all this morning on the Lord's Day and to celebrate God's faithfulness in the life of Hope and in the life of Jared McLean. We bring greetings to Hope Presbyterian Church from Christ United Fellowship and to your pastor and the accompanying commission. Uh, we have uh, so much to be grateful for this morning, and we certainly at CUF are incredibly grateful for the relationship that we have uh, with you all. Several churches here, so thank you all so much for allowing us to share in this moment with you. Uh, you heard Pastor Wilmhoff say a few things already about uh, Timothy as it relates to Jared. So uh, you've noticed in your bulletins this morning that... Um, we are going to consider some words from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And excuse me, I'd be remiss if I also didn't say that uh, joining us this morning in that delegation is my beautiful wife, Lucy, and our four daughters. Uh, she's with us this morning, our first lady, and one of our ruling elders. So as I said, we, we brought a delegation up with us this morning to share in this time with you. Our text this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter one, and we'll look at verses 12 through uh, 17. A pastor told me, I asked him, how much time do I have to preach this morning? He said, as long as the Holy Spirit allows you. Uh, so we'll see what God has in store for our time. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at verses 12 through 17, and the words will be published on the screen this morning as well. Yeah. And when you turn there, you'll find these words recorded. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and full and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Here we go. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you 
Thank you that you have gathered us here today to sit under your word. Lord, we come not as those who have mastered your word, but we come to be mastered by your word. So Lord, we ask now that you would send your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would open the eyes of the blind. We pray that you'd remove the block out of deaf ears. And God, we ask that you would turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Lord, I come this morning boasting in my weakness. I come boasting only in Christ's power alone. Lord, I ask that you would hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that you would anoint me for this task. And may my words be faithful to you. What is not of you, O God, let it fall to the ground. Not to us, O Lord, O Lord, not to us, but to you alone be all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as you can see here from 1 Timothy, there's a conversation, there's a word of encouragement, there's a, a few thoughts that the great apostle Paul is offering to Timothy in, this, uh, in his place of ministry, this young minister, well, one old minister to a young minister, an old minister who is looking near the end of his days, not too long from the time of writing this letter and writing to a young minister who is dealing with some issues in the church, probably some obstinate members, probably a little bit of shyness, probably a little bit of concern about whether he will be effective in this gospel ministry. And so the old minister writes to him and encourages him and breaks out in God's purposes for salvation and breaks out in God's purposes for the church and then also testifies about God's goodness and purposes in his life. And you might imagine if Paul were a worldly-minded individual that he would boast of all the things that he had done all the things that qualified him for service to the ministry. But here Paul comes forward with a great degree of humility, labeling himself as the chief of sinners, reminding Timothy of the central purpose of Christ's coming to save sinners. And so this morning as we navigate this text, you'll, you'll hear some of these themes and I hope there'll be of some consolation and confrontation and motivation to go out and share the gospel with somebody. And I'm so encouraged this morning because I've been honored to be in Jared's life and to play a Paul in his life among the, among the many Pauls that are in his life. So even as I am preaching to everyone here this morning, Jared, I pray that you would take these words and that you would internalize them and that the Holy Spirit would bear much fruit from them this morning. As I said, we're coming all the way from Central Florida where on Tuesday, the high will be 81. That is about 60 to 70 degrees higher than it is right now. I don't say that to tempt you to jealousy. I say that to let you know that there's much work to be done down in Central Florida and the temperature is just right for the work to be done. When it comes to March, the beaches start to get populated down in Central Florida. We live in the inland, but we're only 45 minutes away from the beach, and we've got a year-round beach pass because we like to make occasional trips to the beach. And we like to drive on the beach and park there and hang out and watch people as they pass by. Now, we like to talk to people as they pass by. There's a lot of mission. There's a lot of work to be done there on the beach. 
But one of the things that you see when you're on the beach are people who get stuck in the sand. Uh, they, they lose their way as they're people gazing and they're driving. Maybe some drive too fast, maybe some back out too slow. But nevertheless, as you're sitting down, you see people back out and they stop and then they get stuck. And then without fail, you can almost predict what is going to happen. They start to rev the engine harder and harder, thinking that they're going to move somewhere. And what ends up happening is they put their foot down on the gas and the car, the tires start to spin and they start to sink deeper and deeper. And then everybody stands around them, staring at them, trying to tell them they've got to stop, but they keep doubling down, they keep pressing harder, and the harder they press, the lower the car or truck or whatever vehicle they are driving sinks lower and lower into the sand. Until someone from the outside, have I got a witness this morning? Until someone from the outside comes and rescues them. Whether it's a good Samaritan, uh, whether it's a group of uh, passerbyers that are laughing at them that decide to have a heart to move the vehicle out, or whether it's the beach patrol. No matter who it is or how they get it done, it takes someone outside of the vehicle to rescue them from that perilous and sinking situation. I would hazard a guess that all of us in here this morning know a thing or two about relying on ourselves, about relying on what's on the inside, if you will, to get us out of trouble relying on our own academic prowess, relying on our own physical strength, relying on our own social standing to run this race that Christ has set out for us. We do it in pride. We do it out of fear. We do it out of arrogance. But I would hazard a guess that all of us in here are familiar with that struggle of depending on ourselves, depending on our own strength to run the race that Christ has set before us. But there's also another group. There are people out there in the world who have not come to faith in Christ, yet there are people who are unbelievers who have their foot on the pedal, the pedal to the metal, the pedal is all the way down to the ground, and they think they are moving, but they are sinking. That's all they're doing. They're running in place. They're spiritually dead, thinking they're going somewhere, but they are sinking. And so this morning, Paul has some words not only to encourage us who are already walking with Christ, as it, re, as it relates to being comforted by the notion that Christ has already completed all the work that we sometimes keep trying to convince ourselves must be completed. So there's a word of comfort there for us as believers in Christ. But then there's also a word of exhortation towards humility. There's a word of comfort, but then there's also a word of confrontation for humility. Because two things happen when we look afresh at the finished work of Christ. We're relieved. The burden is lifted off of us. We don't have to do what Christ has already done. But then there's, then there's this little thing of confrontation because we think sometimes, we think that we can do more than what Christ has already done. So then we're humbled and we realize that it's not anything about us that's gonna help us run this race, but it all comes from Christ. So I pray this morning that we will not only be confronted by this reality, but that our hearts will be comforted, that we would be set free. But then we also need to be moved towards mission because a calling to Christ is also, is simultaneously a commission 
to share the good news about Christ, the one who saves. And so this morning, as an homage to this wonderful Baptist church that allows us to meet here, I have three points for us. The power of Christ, the purpose of Christ, and the praise of Christ. Say amen for the alliteration, church. So we'll look at verses 12 through 17. First, we see here the power of Christ. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Can we stop right there for a second? Paul begins this section with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the antidote to an ungrateful heart, to an ungrateful life. Thanksgiving sets us in right perspective. Thanksgiving reminds us of our relationship as the creatures to the Creator. We are wholly dependent upon another one, someone else who created us. And so when we offer thanksgiving, it is a recognition that it is not about us, but about the one who created us. So Paul opens up the section with thanksgiving, thanking God for what? The strength that God has given him, judging him faithful and appointing him to the apostolic service. Paul, the great apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentile world, though he was a very uh, erudite man, though he was full of zeal, though he was a great historian, though he was faithful as it relates to the law, Paul stands before us this morning and reminds us that the strength that he had for his apostolic ministry did not come from himself. It did not come from anything about him. It wasn't anything about Paul's greatness that made him qualified for service to the ministry. Paul says, I thank God who gave me strength. I thank God for the strength that comes from outside of me, not the strength that comes inside of me. God judged him faithful. It wasn't anything that Paul did on his own. It was the unmerited favor of God. And now Paul is not here boasting. He is acknowledging that Christ's call on his life came despite his former life. So God called him to the apostolic service. He appointed him. He's not saying, I thank God I'm so great. Paul's saying, I thank God for his greatness and his kindness towards me. What did Paul say? That he was a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, and he was an insolent opponent. Paul says, before you think more of me than you ought, Timothy, let me remind you of the life from which God called me. I was hostile to the church. I blasphemed God. I was an I was a ravenous wolf. I was an opponent of the mission of Christ. These are all contentious and combative words, but this summarized Paul's ministry before Christ called him to his ministry. And this is no exaggeration. What does Acts 8 tells us? Paul said, it says here in Acts chapter 8, and Saul approved of his execution. His name was Saul before the Lord converted him to Paul. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is Paul's life. This, this is Paul's worldly resume. 
This is what Paul's life was characterized by before Christ brought him to faith. And then again in Acts chapter 26, verse 9 through 11, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. So opposition was at the heart of the apostle Paul before the Lord called him. Opposition is what characterized Saul before the Lord converted him. Isn't that what he says? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of the Jesus of Nazareth. That was his mission, to oppose the church. To oppose the church. This is a summary of Paul's life before the Lord saved him. And I did so in Jerusalem. What did he say? I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So Paul wasn't just trying to stop the mission of God, mission of Christ. Paul was trying to kill the people of Christ. Paul was trying to put an end to it. And he thought he was doing God's will. He said, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. Paul's not boasting about how great he is. Paul's boasting about how great God is to a man who thought he was doing God's will by opposing God. We're talking about the power of Christ right now. He says in verse 13, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now the basis of God's mercy is not Paul's unbelief. Let's, make, let's be clear about that. Paul was held fully accountable for his sins. The sins he committed, he was accountable for them. But what we have here is a picture of a God who is merciful. What we have is a picture of a God who does not hold us accountable, who does not judge us according to what our sin deserves. We're accountable, but who could stand if God judged us according to our deeds? Paul said, I acted ignorantly, but God was merciful. That is, Paul got what he did not deserve. Paul deserved death, but God gave him life. We're talking about a man here who thought he was doing God's will to kill and crush God's mission and his people. But he received mercy. Paul says in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What? What, what, what is Paul illustrating when he says, what does he mean when he says, and the grace of our Lord overflow, that is it, super abounded. No matter how high, how wide, how deep, how great Paul's sin was, God's grace was greater. It's like standing on the beach and a tsunami overtakes you. A tsunami of God's grace is what Paul is here describing. It's super abounded. It's superabounded in faith and love. The very ability to believe in God comes from God. 
It's not that God made it possible. It's not that God made it possible and left it up to us to figure out. No, God gives us the gift, the gift of faith, the, abil the ability, the ability to procure the salvation that he extends, to appropriate it. It all comes from God's grace. Nothing in Paul, all from God's grace. And the love that Paul possesses comes from the mercy of God. What encouraging words. We could put a pen right there and say, the gospel has been preached. But I've got two more points. <laughs> two more. We're talking about the power of Christ here, so I want our hearts to be encouraged this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, can God save me? Is my sin too great? I came to bear witness this morning that no matter how great your sin is, God's grace is greater. I dare you to try him. I dare you to trust in his son and see just how amazing his grace is. I reach out to people all the time as a church planting pastor, and I hear over and over again, can God forgive me for all the wrong that I've done? I've witnessed the people all the time, and they say, I say, what do you have to do to get right with God? Well, I'm trying to do all that I can to make up for all the wrongs that I've done. Well, how much, how much good do you have to do to make up for all the wrong that you have done? Because when you sin against an infinite and eternal God, that's a whole lot of good that you have to do. But can I tell you about the infinite love of this infinite God? Whose grace, whose love is greater than your sin. People are out there asking the question. And Jed, they, they are going to ask the question, can God save me? We're looking at a historic, a historic moment in, in church history where people are leaving the church in numbers that we have never seen before in history. In this generation, a lot of people are going to say, can God save me? We see sin that we never imagined we would see in our lifetime. And when people come to the end of their self, they're going to say, can God save me? And you tell them, Jared, about the power of Christ. You tell them about a God whose grace is greater than their sin. What encouraging words to us this morning as the people of God. Thank you for that testimony earlier, sister. Yes, we keep coming back to God because his grace is that great. We keep coming back because his grace is endless. It's infinite. It's full. It's an endless well. We see the power of Christ, and now we see the purpose of Christ. Paul said in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When I was growing up, there was a saying that a promise is a comfort to a fool. One, it depends on who's making the promise. But I tell you this morning, you're a fool if you don't accept the promises of God. It is foolishness to those who are perishing, Paul says. But listen here, Paul says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What are we talking about here? We are talking about the divinely anointed king, God's son who existed with him from all eternity, stepped down from eternity and wrapped himself in humanity and came and lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we deserve. That is the gospel in succinct measure that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
That is to rescue people who missed the mark. To do for people what they could not do for themselves. To die the death that our sin deserves. But we know that the story doesn't end there with his death. As the Bible tells us that not only did he die for our sins, that, but he was raised from the grave for our victory. That is the gospel in short that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, Jared, if you hear nothing else, your mission is to tell people that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We've got to hold fast to that message because people have all sorts of thoughts about salvation. You've got people out there saying, release the God that's in you. The only God that's in us is flesh. Flesh that needs to be crucified. That's the God that's in us apart from Christ. There's no God in us but ourself that wants to deny the living God. So don't let anybody tell you this, release the God that's in you. That God that's in you will devour you. We need Jesus, Jared, we need Jesus. Hope, pastor, we have to hold fast to this message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this is not a possibility. Christ Jesus didn't come into the world to make it possible for sinners to be saved. This is a guarantee. Christ Jesus came to save sinners and he will get the sinners for whom he came. What does Jesus offer? He offers us peace. Peace when we're at odds with God. Because of the work of Christ, those of us who are under God's wrath now have peace with him, is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5. Those of us who were eternally separated from the Father now have eternal fellowship with the Father. Those of us who were sinking in sand on our way to eternal death now have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Trustworthy is the saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But can I say this morning that there's no boasting? Saints, there's no boasting. There's nothing about us. There's nothing that we did that deserves, that gives us, that, in, that gives us the platform to say, look how great I am. Paul said, it's by grace you have been saved. This not of yourself, lest any man should boast. For we are Christ Jesus' workmanship which God prepared good works in advance that we might walk in them. So the good work that you do was prepared in advance before God saved you. You are not saved because of the good work that you do. Paul says, look here, of whom I am the foremost. This is a word for all of us. When Paul says, of whom I am the foremost, that is the number one. The first in the line, the head of the class. And we know already that Paul is not exaggerating because we saw his curricula vitae already in verse 13. We saw that Paul was an opponent of the church. So he labels himself as the foremost. That is the one who needs Jesus the most. That's, that's an attitude and a mindset, a heart that we all need to adopt. All of God's people need to adopt that. I'm the worst sinner. I need Jesus more than that. It's not you need Jesus because three fingers are pointing back at me. I need Jesus. I'm the worst of them all. That is the attitude of humility that we must adopt as God's people. It's not just this general that Jesus just saves and people need. No, I need Jesus for myself. I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the foremost. I'm the head of the class. I'm the 
first in line. Jesus, I need you. That is what we all need to adopt. This is one of the things I really appreciate about being a reformed Christian. We have a healthy appreciation of man's depravity, of our need for God. And I would that as all of, all of us here as God's people would see our need more and more because the more we realize our, our sin, the deeper we realize our sin, the sweeter God's grace becomes. The more we acknowledge that we need Jesus, the sweeter that grace is. It's when we walk around as though we don't have a sin problem where God's grace seems okay, but God's grace is great. When you realize how great your sin is, then you realize how great God's grace is. Is somebody with me this morning? I'm just making sure. Super sinners are saved by super grace. We see here the Apostle Paul's attitude is starkly contrasted to the Pharisee who said, I thank God I'm not like the prostitutes, the drunkards. I thank God that I'm not like these folks over here. I thank God I'm not like the tax collector. We've got this thing figured out. And the one who walked away justified was the one who said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If we acknowledge our sin, God's mercy will be fresh in our lives. I realized this sometime when I started sharing my testimony publicly in college. I, I stood up one day in high school and I said, I thank God that I'm not like this or a convict Christian, that God had to do this, do that, and all these other things to save me. And then, as I beheld the depths of my sin, my testimony changed to I thank God that I wasn't like a convict Christian, to I thank God because the same grace that saved the convict is the same grace that saved me. You see, when you understand the depth of your sin, God's grace becomes greater in your life. Paul says in verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might be, might, uh, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is Christ's portrait of long suffering. And saints, can I say this morning, if he can turn that convict into an apostle, then he can save anyone. If he can take an opponent like the apostle Paul and make him a proponent of, then he can save anyone. He can save you, he can save me. And this is the message that we are taking out to people. A call to Christ is a commission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we see here, finally, not only do we have the power, not only do we have the purpose of God. What is my purpose? My purpose is to glorify God and joy forever. My purpose is to live on mission for Christ. But now we have the praise of Christ. He says in verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What is the fitting response to God after we ponder and treasure in our hearts his mercy and his grace in saving us? Thanksgiving, praise, doxology, these are all the fitting things that accompany reflecting on what God has done in saving us. We should be walking instruments of thanksgiving with our speech, with our life, with our being. 
as we consider God's mercy toward us in Christ. And it is amazing grace. When you're aware of just the depths of your sin, you cannot help but sing. You cannot help but, as they say where I'm from, put a praise on it. And that's what Paul does. He bursts out in a spontaneous praise, glorifying God for his transcendence, glorifying God for his goodness, glorifying God for his majesty. Look what he says. He says to the king of the ages, was Christ not there in the beginning with the Father? The king of kings, the Lord of lords, were not all things made through him, as Paul tells us in Colossians 1 and John tells us in John 1. He says, immortal, the one who never sees death or corruption in the grave, fulfills the song. David said, you will not abandon your holy one or let him see corruption in the grave. Did not Jesus rise from the grave, proving his power over sin and death? He said that he's invisible. Moses said to the Father, Moses said, God, can I see your glory? And he said, no man can see me and live. And as my great friend and mentor, Mike Glodo said, the Sinai glory was too devastating. But who, but, 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 but the Lord condescends to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that in Christ Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's the exact imprint of the invisible God. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. Paul says the only God. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He's the gateway to eternity. Thomas said, Lord, show us the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Listen, our, our testimony this morning is that Jesus is good and that Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves all kinds of sinners. I, I, I just think about the hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And when sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilt and stain. And what did it? The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there am I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I tell you, uh, we come to talk about a good God this morning. Uh, the news that we carry out to the world is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's our message this morning, that Jesus saves. And when you think about what Jesus has done in your life, I know that it will stir up a song because when I think about what Jesus has done in my life, it stirs up a song in me. And sometimes I just have to walk around and say, thank the Lord, 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 thank the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, 
We thank you for the mercy that you have extended to us in your son, Jesus. And we pray, O oh God, that you would seal these words to our hearts by the power of your spirit, that we might serve you with joyful obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said together, amen. amen.